0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss.
1: A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be in this case. She's going to get away with it.
2: That is douglas.ca slash Canadaland. Matea Roach, host of our own Backbench podcast... Welcome to the 450th episode of Shortcuts.
0: I feel like I should win a prize for being a landmark number.
2: <laughs> oh, you want a prize every time you go on a show. <laughs> it's really nice to have you. We haven't been on a podcast together before. That's
0: true. Yeah, I've been on Shortcuts, but always when you're away or busy or doing something else. I'll
2: try trying not to take it personally. I'm glad you're here now. Listen, today on the show, the radicalized shooter who stormed City Hall in the name of... Well, we're not going to tell you. No, we might also, the new global order of internet governance that applies to Taylor Swift and only to Taylor Swift. Welcome to Shortcuts, where we talk shit about the news. This episode is brought to everybody by Jeff Wilson, Rochelle Pasco Delorier, Jack Vickery, Sarah Cabergy, Frank Hai, Tony Hornung, Claudio Gislin, and Brendan. My name is Brendan Allen, an artist, teacher, and papa, and I live in Toronto. I work in the fields of the theatre arts and education, and both of those worlds could learn a lot from Canada Land's rebellious authenticity. I listen to Canada Land for the hustle. Matea, in Canada, thank God, we have not had many awful incidents where like a shooter runs into a government building. Everyone's mind is probably turning to the one that comes to mind, which in 2014 when parliament was stormed by a shooter who, who, who did kill someone. And that was of course national news. And, and we, we wanted to know everything we possibly could about that. But it happened again last week. And this time it did not get a lot of attention. This was uh, last Tuesday in Edmonton. According to Edmonton Police Service, a uh, shooter parked his vehicle in the City Hall parkade at 10:18 a.m., entered the building from the parkade. Once inside City Hall, he lit several handheld incendiary devices believed to be Molotov cocktails that caused a small fire outside an elevator. He then fired several rounds from a long gun into the ceiling, walls, and windows. The male then dropped the firearm on the floor and surrendered to a City Hall security commissioner. There was an unarmed security guard who confronted this guy and thank God nobody was hurt. Then over the course of hours, reportedly, uh, there was like a grade one class that was evacuated. The mayor was evacuated. This guy stormed City Hall and, and shot off his gun and shot off these explosives. Here's how this was covered on The National, the CBC's uh, flagship newscast.
0: In a wide-ranging, sometimes sporadic, four-minute video posted by the social media account Y-E-G Wave circulating online, Sarvar details a long list of grievances with society, saying he wants to make the world better. It is not clear where or when the video was recorded.
2: Huh. We don't hear the video from the CBC, nor do we know what these grievances with society are. Uh, That's consistent with the CBC's article, where they say that uh, they confirmed that the guy, they, they went to the trouble of confirming like, that this video was Sarvar. Uh, they confirmed it with people who know him. And they say he describes wide-ranging thoughts about modern society while referencing a mission. What these wide-ranging thoughts are, CBC does not tell us. Other media did tell us what was said in the video. And he lists quite a few reasons Global News, uh, post media newspapers. Globe and Mail initially did not get into details, but then eventually they they did an update story where they did. And of course, you could just go find this video online. So let's, let's. Uh, it's a four minute video. There seems to be internal cuts, and I don't know if he edited the video or if somebody else did, um, but it was posted by Y.E.G. Wave in Edmonton. And uh, let's listen to uh, some of this video.
3: Assalamu Alaikum, brothers and sisters. Um, before I do my mission, I want you all to know that I am not a psychopath, I do not believe in bloodshed, I am not one of these monsters that hurt children, that hurt innocence, and that promote wars, or and the civilization of our society. I am just tired of seeing the tyranny and corruption taking over our society and our lives. Um, good, honest, and God-fearing men and women must be our doctors, law enforcement, diplomats, politicians and teachers that raise up, uh, rise up against this wokeism disease that's leading our generation into deception. We need to rise up against this uh, inflation, housing crisis, the unrest uh, that's happening between us because of multiculturalism, due to religion, race, and all that stuff, this needs to come to an end with one another. Leaders, officials, and anybody that has hands into this um, corruption, into this genocide that's going on in Gaza and throughout the world, Anybody that is uh, destabilizing other countries, hurting their community, uh, what do you call, should feel ashamed of themselves and inshallah we will rise against you guys and we will put you on trial. As immigrants we must understand that we are part of this agenda. We're not here for no reason. This is a man-made war. This is a man-made immigration crisis that we're all here. But uh, instead of hate and anger in our hearts, we must spread love, uh, respect one another, show honesty with one another and promote pro-life and work with one another uh, to build our economy, our country. We all need to rise up, we all need to stop uh, being on our phones, we gotta uh, promote a healthy social life where we all communicate with one another, see each other, we need to start filtering our water. We need to watch what we're eating. We got to start eating healthy. Our officials need to start promoting healthy choices, healthy diet, exercises. They need to unite us all as one. And we all got to start doing something positive for our society. Look what's happening. We all know what's going on. And we cannot turn a blind eye. I'm not turning a blind eye. assalamu alaikum brothers and sisters. Inshallah I'll succeed with my mission. If I don't succeed, I know somebody else will succeed for me. as alaikum
2: So that's how he described what he described as his mission and and what he was rising up against. And that's the information that I think CBC decided they made a decision not to share with the public, whereas other news organizations did. Why do you think they would have withheld that?
0: So I find it a bizarre choice to withhold the content of it. I think it, to me, I think it's like normal and fine that they didn't play a clip of the video. I think that as best as I can guess I think that in a lot of news organizations especially like in the past five years I would say there's been this turn towards not wanting to amplify the messages of people who do these sort of lone wolf like terror attacks or attempted terror attacks I assume that that is the logic undergirding their decision to not really broadcast even the message of this video I don't agree with the decision to be so vague about it though because like what was their description again yeah, a wide-ranging, you know, wide-ranging thoughts about modern society. I have wide-ranging thoughts about modern society. Like that could mean literally anything.
2: Yeah, we we asked CBC why why did you withhold this and we didn't we haven't heard back from them yet. I think that you you're probably right that it has something to do with like that, you know, we're having these conversations in journalism about like we don't want to amplify messages and we don't want to here's what was said to me, because I asked this, you know, uh, online, like, why why would they hold this back? And people said, well, it would be irresponsible. Other journalists said to me, it would be irresponsible for journalists to share this information. This is what the uh, the mayor of Edmonton, Amarjit Sohi, tweeted. Yesterday's incident was shocking for those involved. I recognize that there is information circulating online being attributed to the alleged subject. Given that this is an act of police investigation, I would like to ask everyone to allow time for the Edmonton Police Service to consider, assess, and evaluate all information as part of their total investigative efforts, it is wrong and dangerous to assume the actions of a single individual speak for any larger group. Racism and Islamophobia are already significant issues, and we cannot let the actions of one individual impact how we treat or perceive an entire community. I, I don't think it's a huge leap to think that this was also in CBC's mind of like, let's not mention that this guy explicitly says that he's doing this in the name of Allah, inshallah, inshallah will rise up. Let's not mention that he twice references Gaza as his motivation for doing this because we don't want to bring racism and uh, any kind of negative consequences to Canada's Muslim community, which is like a very important thing to be conscious of. And this is what people, other journalists said to me is like, it would be irresponsible. This guy's obviously not okay in the head and he lists a lot of things, you know, that's why it's irresponsible journalism to share the full message or even I, I think you're right. You don't have to necessarily play the, the the clip if you're worried about, you know, there are some manifestos that I think could inspire copycats. That was not the most fiery or com- compelling uh, manifesto. So, I, I, you know, who knows? But, you know, I, I could see the newsroom decision to be like, well, oh, let's not play the actual thing. That's fine. But to not even tell Canadians why this guy did it seems bizarre to me. Well,
0: and I think like. To your point, right, it's like, OK, we we don't want to mention or it would be irresponsible to mention because I think that what does happen oftentimes is like there has been in right wing media, especially and on the right more broadly of just like shit that I see on Twitter. There is such like a an immediate distrust, just generally speaking, of any Muslim like using language that indicates their faith because it is associated with like this sort of, you know, it, it's associated with terrorism. It's associated with like violence, which is wrong. Right. And so I can see that the CBC maybe is like, well, let's not mention that so that we don't give people the wrong idea about it. The problem, though, is like, yes, that's a substantial part of the video, but he also equally, like, he talks about inflation, like, as much as he talks about Gaza in this video. He talks about, like, we should be filtering our water and, like, not going on our phones. And I think, to me, it makes the most sense to give all of that context. Mm -hmm. And then that way, I think— it's clear, you know, people People are still talking about this video. This is the thing, right? Like, the people that are going to use this to paint Canadian Muslims with a broad brush, I think, have already done that. And I think that the responsibility of journalists is to offer context, right? I agree that this isn't, like, the most uh, compelling manifesto, let's call it. I do think that in general, because there have been instances of, like, Elliot Roger in 2014, who wrote this, like, long incel manifesto, like, Pages and pages, and also posted a video. Those documents have since become adopted by incels online. As Manassian
2: sort of uh, reference Rogers when he with the van attack. Yeah, with
0: the van attack, exactly. Right, you actually do have instances of copycats. Same with like the Christchurch mosque shooter in 2019. Like wrote, I think it was dozens of pages, you know, in this manifesto. And I think with the hope that he would inspire copycats. And so this guy at the end of his video is saying, you know, if I don't succeed in my mission, like hopefully someone else will, even though it's not the most uh, inspiring rhetorically, obviously that is his aim. Right. And so I think yeah. to not- and we
2: might not be his target audience. Maybe somebody else feels.
0: <laughs> yeah. Someone's like, oh, he's spitting fire. You know, it was one of those videos where every so often he would say something where I'd be like, yeah, inflation is bad, but um, don't go shoot up Edmonton City Hall about it.
2: You know he sa- he says like a lot of stuff and some of it is is like you know he he says something against racism you know but a lot of the stuff is consistent and and I think that we do need to know this stuff to understand what is creating little brainworms that make people do extreme and terrible things and it is a instructive window into how the public atmosphere and the dialogue is really affecting people personally and and on, on edge cases inspiring this. Because like some of what he says is consistent, like hating wokeness, multiculturalism is driving us apart. He references we immigrants are not here for no reason. This is a man-made war. That strikes me as a pretty clear reference to a very popular conspiracy theory that Jews are engineering mass migration of Muslims in order to force a race war. I'm not the only person who is alarmed by some of the connections that he was drawing. Uh, B'nai B'rith Canada released a statement saying they're deeply troubled after learning about the terrible events that are unfolding in Edmonton. Uh, Here's the quote. We fear that the perpetrators' reference to the Israel-Hamas conflict in their manifesto will only lead to the further incitement against Canadian Jews in the midst of an unprecedented surge in anti-Semitic incidents. So the fact of the matter is that... The outrage over events in Israel-Palestine are inspiring violence. In addition to all kinds of legitimate protests, there have been acts of extremism and violence. And, you know, some communities are much more affected by those than others. And I think that when you are talking about responsibility in journalism— the basic responsibility to tell people what is happening in their cities, for people in Edmonton to know why this happened, for people across Canada to know this is this is another incident in which one of the reasons given was this the, this very disgusted and outraged, passionate feeling is one of the reasons why this guy took a some people are identifying as a rifle and I guess created like Molotov cocktails and went into City Hall and exploded a device and shot off his gun, and this could have been so much worse. If your idea of responsibility in journalism is about obscuring that information from the public, that's being responsible. I would say that we have a more primary responsibility to inform the public.
0: Well, and I think that, so I I have somewhat of a, I guess, like everyone brings their own shit to looking at a video like this. I interpreted sort of some of his remarks about this as a man-made crisis to refer to. I think it's a common, I would say, well, I, I don't even want to say right-wing talking point. I think it's being embraced across the spectrum now. Just the notion of like the housing crisis and inflation and a lot of these things are sort of government-created crises that are in part being caused by mass immigration and that it's like – there's a liberal plot to essentially bring in immigrants to maintain like political control in Canada. Like that's what it evokes for me. I don't think that that means that your interpretation of it and the B'nai B'rith interpretation of it is necessarily wrong. I just think there's like multiple ways to read the video. And because it is sort of like, again, not the most coherently articulated, I guess we need to be able to talk about it to sort of make these connections yeah. and figure out what is being meant.
2: It's sort of like whatever the conspiracy soup is that's out there. You can go wild trying to, like, figure out or make sense of it because it doesn't make sense. But Mm -hmm. people do put all these things. You know, we we, we needed to know that the guy who went to the the Pizzagate shooter— Mm -hmm. we needed to know that this ridiculous Pizzagate conspiracy theory is what inspired him to go to Cosmic Ping-Pong and fire off his gun. Mm -hmm. We didn't need to know the contents of his lunatic Mm -hmm. manifesto, Mm -hmm. but we didn't need to know, like, this is what's in in the air that's causing people to lose it.
0: Well, and I think that when you are in an atmosphere where conspiracies are rife and then you have, I think it's especially bad for the CBC to be the actor that is withholding information, given that already there is this notion that, you know, There's censorship. It's like, you know, the woke CBC is not telling us the real news. This, I think, is implying that there is information that is too dangerous for people to know, which in an environment where people are already latching onto conspiracies and already latching onto the notion that there are things that are not able to be openly discussed, I think that to then actually have that as a policy that's being implemented by the CBC just, like, gives credence to that method of thinking about things. So, again, I really— do disagree with like the sharing of substantial clips of the video. And I think that circulating it, you know, however inarticulate it may be is like not the best thing. But yeah, I I think the Pizzagate analogy is perfectly makes perfect sense, right? Because I think that if you were to report on that story in particular and not say, well, this is like what was the, the framework that the person was thinking of when they went and did this, I think you sort of do almost lend credence to the idea of like maybe there was something there that they were acting on.
2: Yeah, I think you raise a really good point. I mean, I've seen that kind of conspiracy thinking online, and people saying like, "Oh, look, the you know the, the woke multicultural mayor of Edmonton is telling the woke multicultural Trudeau journalists of the CBC to suppress this information, and they dutifully blah 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 blah." It it, it lends fuel to another conspiracy theory, which you know whatever conspiracy theory theorists are going to theorize, but like don't help them. And you know, trust in journalists is at an all time low. Like it's, I think it's irresponsible not to tell people what the heck's happening when when that's your job.
0: Yeah, I think for me it's like it. <laughs> Journalism ideally should be telling you what is happening and not telling you what to think about what is happening. And I think choosing deliberately to withhold certain information is a form of telling you what to think about what's happening.
2: This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca/canadaland to help them with your Douglas purchase today, visit douglas.ca slash to claim this offer. Matea, you have done this show many times when that other guy hosts it. You know that we duly note things. What can you duly note for our listeners today?
0: So I always have, this is a strange sentence to say, but I always have Iran on the brain. I feel like I'm thinking about Iran a lot. Have you heard, I know you've heard of this, that Iran allegedly hired Canadian hell's angels to conduct political assassinations in the U.S.?
2: That's what you call a scoop in this business. That's that's like,
0: what? It's like a, such a Mad Libs headline of it has everything you could possibly want. But yeah, so reporting from within the past week, I guess, basically has said that two Canadians planned to conduct assassinations uh, in the U.S. on behalf of Iran's intelligence service, targeting, I guess, an Iranian dissident and somebody that had left Iran with him. So one was a political defector. So these charges were unsealed on Monday by the U.S. Department of Justice. Apparently, I guess, these Hells Angels were charging like $350,000 U.S. for the the job of assassinating this guy, which uh, they did not do. So I have a lot of thoughts i guess what are your what are your thoughts about this
2: i guess my well, one thought is you know i called it a scoop but actually it's not like a digging from journalists this came out of the, the american justice system that we know about this and one thought i had was that like wow we sure do learn a lot more about like canadian assassins for foreign states when the news somehow is unearthed from america than from our own journalists that was one thought i had
0: they also seem better at stopping political assassinations yeah. in america yeah
2: they're better at that and the other thought i had is iran on the brain like iran is heating up or, like all eyes on
0: Yeah. One thing that I've seen a lot of lately, both in relation to just like generally the sort of expanding conflict in the Middle East, because it really isn't just Gaza. It's also, you know, it's Lebanon, it's Yemen, it's all of these things. There's been increasing calls from conservative members of parliament in Canada to list the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps as a terrorist organization, which is like a discussion that's been going on for quite a while. Republicans in the U.S., I think Senator John Cornyn was like tweeting about how we should go to war with iran just like it's
2: not a good idea it's
0: a very i and yeah it's a bad idea the irgc i also just really disagree with the premise of listing a conscription-based army as a terrorist group which is i think why canada has not listed the whole irgc Mm. as a terrorist group to date like there's certain high-level officials that are listed as you know recognized terrorists i believe the Kuds group but yeah, listing a whole conscription-based army as a terrorist group seems not like a rational response to me to deal with this increased Iranian interference.
2: I'm just fascinated by this, like, Hells Angels-Iran government connection. Well,
0: yeah, I, I want to know, like, everything about how that happened. But yeah, Iran on the brain, Jesse. I always have Iran on the brain.
2: <laughs> duly noted. I going to duly note this, even though it's not a story that's getting, you know, too little attention. It's, it's, it's getting deserved attention, and that is that uh, this ongoing... Reckoning in hockey has worked its way up to the NHL. These names will mean more to sports fans and our listenership than to me, but Michael McLeod, Dylan Dubé, Carter Hart, Cal Foote, and Alex Formanton all have been charged for this alleged sexual assault, an alleged group incident in 2018 that we've been hearing about for a long time. I think there have been, like, whispers and rumors, and a lot of people have known these names for some time, and who's it going to be in the NHL, and, and now we know uh, who has been charged with this We'll find out what happens in the court proceedings with this as we go along. But I wanted to duly note it because uh, one of my colleagues pointed out that uh, very quickly another revelation – came from the world of hockey that might seem on the surface unrelated. Sault Ste. Marie, the Sioux the Sue Greyhounds removed a banner from their arena, honoring their former coach, John Vansbybrook, who resigned from the Greyhounds in 2003 after he admitted making a racist slur. So what does this historical racist slur? And this guy who's been celebrated for like two decades ever since have to do with this alleged sexual assault. I, I, I think that it is just evidence that perhaps a lot of stuff that people have been tolerating or, sweeping under the rug or ignoring in hockey that breaking point where like, yeah, we're not, we're not looking to tolerate this anymore. And if that is true, a lot of stuff is going to come out. Laura Robinson journalist has been covering this she wrote a book on abuse in hockey in 1998. I think that that was a very difficult time to be talking about sexual assault in hockey. And uh, she faced a lot of resistance for that. And she's been, you know, sadly vindicated again and again and again, I wonder if this is not just the tip of the iceberg.
0: Yeah, I am not a real hockey head, I will say. Two things that this brings to mind. One is that it was very interesting that a couple of days, I think before these players were named, at least one of their teams, I think it was the Calgary Flames, posted a graphic on social media saying, you know, such and such player is taking leave for mental health. Like there was sort of this vague allusions to... Mm -hmm players being released for, from their teams, not because of this, which is like, it's just stupid. Like if you know this, if presumably you knew this news was going to come out, yeah. you know something's up.
2: So the NHL teams, they say that they, they, they didn't know, they didn't know. And you know, you, you have to wonder with that plausible deniability stuff, was this a situation where they kind of knew, but they were careful to not know in any kind of like demonstrable paper trail kind of way, or do they really not know, you know, you raise an eyebrow at that one.
0: The other thing I'll say is, like, you know, people that I know that are parents, which is not, I mean, I like, you know, I'm still in my 20s. I don't know that many parents. But, like, my cousins and, like, their cohort of people, people that are in their 30s and have kids, no one wants to enroll their kids in hockey. I think it's a combination of, like, the culture around it is just seen as noxious and unpleasant. But from the professional level, like, right down to... The parents are unpleasant. Why do you have to get up for practice at five in the morning when every other sport is like in the, ge- the evening yeah. at a reasonable hour?
2: <laughs> the gear, the gear is expensive and it's, heavy, and it's it gets smelly. You have to
0: drive like far to go do it. Like it just, it seems as though the cachet and the the stranglehold that hockey has had on Canadian culture has weakened quite substantially over the past. I don't know since the Vancouver Olympics seems to be the timeline.
2: Could be. I'm, I'm the wrong guy to ask, and I, I'd be curious from a small town perspective if that's true, but uh, perhaps.
0: Yeah, this could be my, you know, Toronto brain poisoning from eight and a half years of living here, thinking that hockey doesn't matter.
2: <laughs> One way or the other, it's good that this stuff's coming out. So, duly noted. Millions saw explicit images of U.S. pop star Taylor Swift in their social media feeds, and that prompted concern all the way to the White House.
0: Most of the instigators have been suspended by X, and the site says it's taking action on any more images it finds.
1: But tech companies and governments alike will have a hard time ignoring Tay-Tay's rabid fan base, which reacted swiftly to purge social media of the offensive photos, which in turn prompted Microsoft CEO... To promise action.
2: Did you see these uh, Taylor Swift uh, images? Unfortunately,
0: yes. Uh, Before they got mostly scrubbed from X, I hate calling it X, Twitter. Before they got mostly scrubbed from Twitter.
2: Let's uh, return to the images themselves in a bit, but uh, there's a Canadian angle here. The alleged creator of these images that flooded Twitter is someone named Zubair Abdi, who uh, lives outside of Toronto in Scarborough. Apparently, I was a student at University of Toronto, Scarborough. I would probably not share his name, except that it has been confirmed by Newsweek that his Twitter account, before it went private uh, and got locked down, he tweeted, my Taylor post went viral, and now everyone is posting it. And so the Swifties have descended upon this waste ute from Scarborough who made these images. This is interesting. There's like so much to talk about in what happened here. I did not see the images when they were apparently flooding and inescapable on Twitter. And it was interesting to me, like what is the law of the internet is like you can't remove anything. Taylor Swift has power. Like not only were the images not like easy to find, but if you search for Taylor Swift on Twitter, like she she, she removed herself from Twitter. Okay, these are not powers that the normal person or even the normal celebrity has. Deep fake porn has been a reality for a long time. It's been around, and and, uh, AI-generated images of celebrities. Like, there have been a lot of people who have wanted to have things removed from Twitter. Taylor Swift gets action. Swifties get action. The White House chimed in on this. It is alarming. We are alarmed by uh, the reports of the the circulation of images that you just laid out, uh, false images to be more exact, and it is alarming. So, you know, one thing here is, you know, there's been all this talk about uh, an anti Deepfake law and better regulation of these images for everyone, but like there, there seems to be a different standard of regulation for Taylor Swift and Taylor Swift alone.
0: I mean, good, good for her, good for her. Like this is this is the thing. I am so, I'm so ambivalent about the concept of Taylor Swift and like just the the amount of space that she takes up in the culture. What I hope comes out of this is that. You know, people are talking about the problem of these this, like, deep fake AI porn that's being produced, as you said, like, not just of celebrities but also of, like, regular people. I know MidJourney and pro- presumably some of the other, like, AI image generators, if you pay for a pro subscription, you can upload your own images uh, to use as references. And so this isn't just something that, like, famous people are vulnerable to. It's something that everybody is vulnerable to if they are targeted by it if there's somebody who wants to cause them this kind of suffering and you know just like public humiliation basically so my hope is that maybe this is a conversation starter and we get some real regulation of these deep fakes and of specifically pornographic images made through ai but we'll see
2: (laughs) yeah maybe what goes for taylor will go for all and there are certain cases where it's pretty hard to feel otherwise like uh in Canada, police launched an investigation in December after fake nude photos of female students at a grade 7 to 12 French immersion school in Winnipeg were shared online. And some of these images, like the images themselves, and I think the intent is like y- maybe they're real, you know? So you got like a child porn criminal angle there, but then also just like – having seen deep fake videos, like, you know, uh, you're looking at videos of celebrities. It's like this, this could have happened. And Mm -hmm. I, I I think that that is something that requires its own or might require its own special legislative response or criminal response. Like you are lying to people. You are, uh, you know, trying to humiliate them and suggest to people and trick people into thinking that they did things or that they publicized their sex lives or that they're, you know, like, you know, you're, you're you're, like, there's a misinformation aspect of it. That's a lie. And that was my expectation, as based on the way the media was reporting on these Taylor Swift images. And and you know, the genteel and proper media was very, you know, uh, respectful to Taylor Swift. They they were they've kind of vaguely said, you know, these images, these are fake images that depict Taylor Swift um, in suggestive poses at a football arena, or you know, they 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 depict her uh, nude at a football game. And so I was expecting. And I, I looked at these as part of my job, Matea, I, I, I searched for these uh, to see how, you know, first of all, to see how successful she was at getting them wiped. And, like, it took some doing to find them, but this is how good a like, i find them I did. <laughs> and this is what I want to talk about now. They did not look like what I was expecting. I was expecting an image that you would see it and think that it might be real. Did you think when you saw these images, that's a real image? No.
0: Like, they, they look like mid-journey images is, like, the, the best way that I can describe it. Like, there's this certain kind of, like, aesthetic that a lot of these AI generators kind of move towards, I would say, when you're just giving them prompts. And it's, like, there's a certain, like, glossiness and, like, type of color saturation that I find is very common. So there was no moment where I was like, oh, this is a real photo. Also, just it would be an absurd thing to exist. I think because it was like a football stadium, it's not a premise that's really that believable, right? I don't think that that that—well, I don't think it exactly makes the situation better.
2: It makes it different.
0: It makes it different, certainly in terms of the conversation around what the regulation of that would have to look
2: like. And and let's try to give people—you know, this is an audio medium, um, and we don't want people to search for these images. So let me try to describe for uh, you—I think you did a good job there, but like— uh, I'll say this: There is no way these images are real. No. Like, uh, if you look at these images, they are like. Uh, apparently, they were they were created by people skirting the guardrails on Microsoft's uh, designer AI platform. Like, if you just say, you know, Taylor Swift porn nude, they won't do it. But people like found ways of like phrasing it in such mm-hmm. a way. They are hyper slick saturated, vivid, like unreal poster. They look like, like almost like Frank Frazetta, like airbrushy fan art, almost like the way a Robert Bateman painting of a wolf is like so realistic that you know, it's not real. Like everything is in perfect, perfect, precise, high resolution clarity. And, and then what's happening is not like oh a wardrobe malfunction or like an upskirt photo. She's like buck naked, painted red, with like like pornographic things written on her body in a stadium in a football arena with like dozens of hands some of the hands have those weird three finger ai you know reveal like not for a moment do you think, oh wow, I can't believe Taylor Swift did this? That's that's my take on them. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe if this was like a David LaChapelle photo shoot, you know, where like the level of photoshoppery to make things hyper-realistic. So it's a photo photoshop collab, and this like there's no way this was like a candid shot.
0: No, there's and not like there's no way that any part of it could have realistically been a an actual photograph.
2: So what does that mean for proposed regulation? Because hey, fanfic ain't my jam. But if I was a horny weirdo who wanted to paint hyper-realistic erotica of my favorite celebrities and post it to my, like, deviant art account, I don't think that should be illegal.
0: i It's one of those things where it's like, I don't know that I think it should be illegal. I do think it should be societally. Like, I don't know. I'll I let shun them. I think definitely shunning. I think that... It's very difficult for the law to regulate intent, right? And I think that the reason why people are so up in arms about this, like, definitely is, first of all, because Taylor Swift is famous and she has an army of fans that are going to defend her. If she wants them taken down, as far as I'm concerned, like, they should be taken down. But I think it's about what the case represents, right? That it is specifically, you know, these images were created with the intent of humiliating and debasing her, That is maybe part of the course of being a celebrity, but I think when it's sexualized images, it is different. And I think that a lot of, like, when I saw these images circulating on Twitter before they sort of all got pulled, a lot of the quote tweets that people were doing of the images said things to the effect of, well, the fact that I know she hates this makes it so much hotter to me. The thing of it is, is
2: like— It's legal to be a creep, though. It is legal to be— Depending on how you exert your creepiness. But I guess here's It's not illegal to be— like, a shitty human being just in and of itself. Here's my
0: problem, though. Imagine, like, it's the same exact kind of weird mid-journey, you know, or Microsoft designer AI art style, but it's not a famous person. And it's still not realistic and it's still obviously not a real situation. Like, that to me seems like it's much more injurious. If it's, like, a kid that's there's photos, you know, this kind of photo or imagery circulating of them. Or even if it's, like, an adult, but just a a regular non-famous adult, right? Like, I'm not really sure why. It almost feels as though because Taylor Swift is someone who could conceivably have weird, erotic fan art made of her, that she also should have to accept that this is something that exists. Like, I think that clearly, to me, we need protections against this sort of thing for, like, regular people, and if the way that we get that is through a conversation about the weird Taylor Swift AI art.
2: But what is this sort of thing? Like, I, I think I'm like pretty firmly in agreement if this sort of thing, you know, and then you get into a weird, like, how do you legally distinguish between things that look real and things that are obviously fake? Mm-hmm. But it, it really is like, you know, so if I draw, like, if, if a kid draws a rude picture of teacher, like, <laughs> like you know, like, I don't know what to tell you. And, and then you do get cases of like, and uh, some of the famous cases of satire and and parody, like, uh, you know, I think there was that famous Larry Flint versus uh, that, that preacher where, where, you know, and then there's like being like satirical images of Trump naked. We did one in the Canada Land Guide to Canada in the Canada in, in the Can- the Guide to Canadian Sex. We had images of Peter Mansbridge fornicating with himself. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I think that if you cannot draw rude pictures of the elite, then are you truly free? it was a drawing and and yes it was it subjected him to humiliation and and you uh, know <laughs> and mockery yeah that's what we are trying to do i think if i'm looking at like i don't know i if i'm looking at like the criminal
0: code right i think for me what this is about is in Canada, you know, we have these, like, relatively new, actually, like, within the past five to ten years, laws about, like, revenge porn, right? So real images, you know, it's an offense. I'm reading from the statute now. It's an offense for a person to knowingly disseminate an intimate image of a person without their consent. And then the way that that's defined is that intimate image means a visual recording of a person made by any means, including a photographic film or video recording. So this is legislation that was written before these sort of deep fake or AI images were really like, yeah, prominent or good enough that they could reasonably fool anybody.
2: Well, but we're talking about real images. We're that, talking
0: about real images
2: that people are 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 you know was shared intimately, um, privately, and then somebody says, uh, "I'm mad at my ex. I'm going to put this on the internet." Yeah, or absolutely illegal. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely illegal. Absolutely should be illegal. The
0: other prominent cases would be you know there was like the Retea Parsons case in I forget which year, but it was when I was in high school, yeah. um, and it was in Nova Scotia. This was like a huge deal where it was a video of her being sexually assaulted that was shared around, right? Like, obviously illegal, obviously wrong. I think that maybe there's some sort of line to be drawn where, you know, because I I agree, like, I think it's bad generally to put limitations on art. I think that there's, like, you know, the the sort of U.S. law, I know it when I see it definition of pornography and obscenity uh, obviously does not work and restricts, I think, a lot of very legitimate and important expression, I don't know if maybe there's a line to be drawn of, you know, intimate images that are based on real images of a person in the sense of, like, with these AI image generators, uh, they're working off of real images that exist. Yeah. Right? I'm not sure if that's a way that you could make a distinction. I I really am concerned about this, though, because I think we are going to get to the point where... These AI image generators are going to be able to generate imagery that is a lot more lifelike than the Taylor Swift in the the Chiefs stadium with the weird hands of the crowd in the background. It looks images. like
2: Pixar porn. It's so weird. Like I think we're going to have to get a lot more literate about these distinctions, you know. And and even the distinction that I'm that I'm trying to make, like people are going to like, you know. So there is, you know, art. I guess, or at least people's like uh, people.
0: Some people call it art.
2: And then, like, if you've just got a machine churning out this stuff, you know, that might be a hard defense to make. You Mm -hmm. know, Uh, like, you you could imagine an automated process where machines just, like, going through lists of top 10 celebrities, top 100 celebrities, throwing the stuff online and getting clicks off of it for money. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's pretty hard to call that art in any way. Yeah, like,
0: let me put it this way. Like, I think that if this case goes to any court and the guy who generated this image tries to defend it as legitimate artistic expression, I think he's going to have a real uphill battle.
2: Yeah, I hear that. I also just feel like we like we do not have a choice in society whether or not we want to be inundated with images of celebrities like Taylor Swift. OK? Like, not this image. I'm talking about, like—
0: Just the concept of her in the media generally. Yeah. yeah.
2: So, so that, you know, when we get into things about defamation, you know, whether somebody is a public person matters. And, you know— I've, like, I come from, like, uh, I don't know, a Gen X cultural tradition of, like, alternative uh, satire and subversion of mainstream culture where, you know, you'd have cartoonists taking, you know, Mickey Mouse and doing Mickey Mouse porn. Like, like you know, just, like, turning this stuff on its ear and saying, look, I don't have a choice about being in this culture, this, like, you know, shopping mall uh, culture where... Celebrities are rammed down my throat twenty four seven, but I I can make art and I can you know my subconscious is now inundated with this stuff. Like it's kind of like a Robert Crumb kind of thing. Like mm. so, it's like I'm I'm very familiar with art that takes pop culture and turns it into, like, often drawing on things that are in that pop culture to begin with. Taylor Swift has a lot of highly sexualized imagery, you know? So people processing this and making their own stuff with it and and making commentary or just a personal expression, I'm very concerned about incursions into that kind of expression. And yet, this is not that.
0: No, no, this is not that. I think, yeah, again, if we start, like, this is not in a gallery. I also think that it's interesting that you mentioned this as kind of like a Gen X, like, there was... Yeah, there's this, like, world of, like, alt comics and stuff where it was very common to draw, from my understanding, sort of, like, subversive, lewd in some cases, uh, representations of pop cultural icons. Yeah. I think the fact that we now live in a world of social media where those kinds of expressions—again, I don't think the thing that we're talking about is art, but, like, let's suppose it was— uh, I think it's very different for that to be disseminated widely uh, on Twitter for all to see rather than like in someone's zine or something.
2: I guess, though I was, you know, celebrated yeah. a happy dance when zines were no longer in the basement and you could publish it on the Internet. This is not art. But if what we're going to say is that art needs to be protected and this isn't art, then you then we're uh, getting into a strange place where, you know, legislation is deciding what is and isn't art. And we're not going to solve that today. That is Shortcuts. Matea, this was so much fun. Thank you.
0: Let me on again sometime when you're working.
2: (laughs) Let's do it. Uh, I can be emailed about this or anything else at jesse at canadaland.com and I read everything you send. Matea Roach, where can people find you?
0: You can find me on the backbench. We release episodes every two weeks. We released one that I'm quite proud of this week about the recent ICJ proceedings uh, between South Africa and Israel. You can also find me on Twitter at Matea Roach, and you can email me at matea at candleland.com. I read most things you send me.
2: This episode is produced by Aviva Lassard with additional production by Caleb Thompson. Our managing editor is Annette Vajofor, and our editor in chief is Karen Puglese. Our theme music is by So-Called. Syndications by CFUV, 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you value this podcast, our analysis, our discussions, the journalism that we do. Um, Support us. We need you to. We rely on listeners like you to pay for our journalism and as a supporter you'll get premium access to all of our shows without ads. You'll get early releases and bonus content exclusive newsletters, discounts on our merch, invites and tickets to our live and virtual events Uh, but the reason why you hopefully will decide to do this is because we have a real problem with journalism in this country and supporting Candidland is something you can do to keep journalism around and free and accessible to everybody else. Uh, Here's how you do it. Click on the link in your show notes or go to canadaland.com slash join. You can listen ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime.
1: A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman, found covered in blood.